Welcome on in to the Superintendent Radio Network and episode 15 of Beyond the Page, the podcast that dives a little deeper into the stories and columns in Golf Course Industry Magazine. I'm Matt Lowell, Managing Editor of the magazine, joined today by Editor-in-Chief Guy Cipriano and by Dr. Kelly Price, a professor of marketing at East Tennessee State University and a lifelong golf enthusiast who hosts a great podcast about the game. Guy and I will talk about our annual State of the Industry issue, which will be online a little later this week, and is packed with stories, stats, charts, and more that put into print and perspective the kind of year so many of you turned in. Kelly, who hosts the excellent On the Tee with Dr. P podcast, brings a different perspective to the conversation and talks about how golf might be able to grow in terms of marketing and reach after a banner 2020. Dr. Kelly Price and Guy Cipriano, after the break. Hi, Guy. Hi, Matt. It's great to be with you. It is great to have you back. Guy Cipriano, editor-in-chief of Golf Course Industry Magazine, joining us on Beyond the Page, episode number 15. This is the second of three Superintendent Radio Network episodes this month focused on stories in our January issue. Our last episode, of course, sales guru, Andrew Hurricane Hatfield, representing the new golfer coming to the game in the last year. If you missed last week's episode, Andrew really diving into golf. He played 19 courses in 2020, a very, very special off the course coming next week. But this week, Guy and I right now are going to dive into our State of the Industry package. It was the cover story in the January issue. We do this every year, obviously. I think this is the ninth or tenth year in a row. And really, really interesting questions and even more interesting answers and data Guy, this is always one of my favorite projects of the year, and I'm so glad you're here to talk more about it. Well, I feel like a stranger in a strange land, not to steal a line from Bill Bryson. Usually, I'm hosting the Tartan Talks podcast, and you and I are doing Greens with Envy. I've never have participated in a Beyond the Page, besides uh, being the person doing the interview. I've never been a guest on this one, so uh, kind of cool to be in this. And yeah, the State of the Industry Report is a great way for us to begin 2021 we've begun the last 10 years with this report and and i would say i've been here for six of them and this one is easily the one that has been the most fascinating when you consider everything that happened in 2020 and some of the lasting effects that this year could have on 2021 2022 2023 so yeah easily this is the most fascinating state of the industry survey we've done in my time here and We have some bullet points, but let's start first with, I think I would have started with this even if you hadn't put it first, the year of public golf. Now, in the spring, I think it was the April issue, you planned a cover package that was great about the magic of munis. And the pandemic hit, we wondered, do we switch gears? And you didn't. And it was a great decision to stick with that package because I think it, it hit a lot of people just right the the wonder and the magic of public golf, of municipal golf. And my gosh, 
What a year. Do you want to dive into these numbers, or should I? And I apologize up front. We will try to make this episode not like math class, but there will be more numbers than normal just to show the breadth and success of 2020 for the golf course and golf course maintenance industry. Yeah, it was a phenomenal year for public golf, the best year for public golf in my time at golf course industry, probably the best year for public golf since the early 2000s, late 90s during that boom. And yeah, we're going to try to keep the numbers to a minimum. Uh, luckily, Matt and I aren't math guys. That's why we're writers, editors, uh, probably because we uh, do not want to be overloaded with numbers, but numbers do tell the story this year, this past year. And I would say that, you know, I even have this on my Twitter handle, Matt, that there's an art and a science to content mm -hmm. creation and the science are surveys like this and some of the other analytics we get through services that we use. And they tell one, one story. And then the art is the discussions with people. And for this, I was more involved in the science end. You were involved in the art end of telling the story which was uh, sponsored by New Farm, by the way. They've they've sponsored it for the last five years now, and just mm -hmm. grateful to have their support. And it's great to see that they value a project like this. And uh, another disclaimer here is that we had so much good information. We had so much science <laughs> and so much art to this package that we're moving some of it into February, and we won't give all that away right now. But, yeah, back to the public golf situation it, it it was an unbelievable year for public facilities so 64.9 percent of the public facilities and we we had 318 superintendents respond to this report which we received help from signet research to uh produce this uh so this is a professionally done re report here it's just not a, a email link going out over social media to a, a few thousand followers so uh, we, we make a big investment in this project and lucky to have 318 returns that are all professionally vetted by Signet. And yeah, 64.9% of public courses were profitable in 2020 and 81.3% were profitable or broke even. That, that, that's just fabulous. I mean, you know, two thirds of the golf supply in the United States is is public golf. And especially when you're talking about municipal golf and government being involved there are always challenges getting it funded and and showing the value of it to the citizens of a community so you know public public golf just had had a fabulous year uh the science proved what my eyes and your eyes and andrew hurricane hatfield's eyes uh showed here in northeast ohio and other places we've been that public courses were packed i mean if you didn't have a tea time a few weeks in, in advance you weren't you weren't going to get on and no. it i would say the 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 uh, public side was also hurt less by the cancellation of outings and food and events because they were able to just flip that into normal golf and tea time. And 55.8% of public facilities said that they were, they were able to overcome food and beverage and event losses. That's just a huge number right now because the, uh, the concern was, and we saw a lot of this in June and July, there was always, yeah, the golf courses are crowded, but dot 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 and the but dot 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 was well are they going to be able to overcome all the, the the lost events and and food and beverage decreases that were uh forced upon them because of COVID 19 and you know yeah they were especially on the public side i mean 55.8 percent said that they were able to overcome food and beverage and event losses and 21.2 percent when we sent out the survey so there was still december revenue to, to go we got the returns back in late november so 
courses didn't necessarily have their December numbers or projections in front of them. So 20% said they weren't sure by that point. So that means only about 25% of public courses suffered losses because of lost events and food and beverage decreases. So just a phenomenal year for public golf. I have the most recent uh, Golf Data Tech rounds played report in front of me. This wasn't our research. And Golf Data Tech and NGF have done a fantastic job of putting pertinent numbers out throughout the course of the year. And public golf had an 11.6 year-over-year um, year rounds increase th- through November. And that that's just, just remarkable. Uh, that bodes well for golf's long-term future because most of us, Matt, begin play on a, a public golf course. And the fact that there were more people at these courses this year having a good time, cu- coming back, j- just bodes well for the future. So when you look at the total story of 2020, there are a lot of big themes there. There are probably four or five themes, but the fact that public golf had such a such a remarkable year is, is one of the most important things here for the industry long term. And a few more numbers to keep in mind. All those numbers were put up uh, 65% profitable, 16% more broken even, almost 56% generating that on-course revenue uh, enough to offset food and beverage and events losses. Public courses did that while losing almost 25 revenue-producing days at the start of the pandemic. And that was more than uh, private courses. I think the average at private was 17. Uh, And one other number, and this one just blew me away. We'll get to budgets here soon in in this episode. But I just want to point out the average projected non-capital operations budget at non-private facilities for 2021 $801,139 $801,139 that is up 45% from last year that's an incredible number 800,000 plus dollar non-capital operations budget for 2021 and we should also add that 55% of the survey respondents worked at non-private or public courses right. we really only do it in two categories we do it are you a private course or or non-private course, so 55% of the respondents were non, non-private. That's a flip from the 2019 survey that we sent out looking at 2020 where we had 55% private course participation and 45% non-private. Uh, so we're getting closer just in our survey participation, Matt, where you know two-thirds of the facilities are public access. You know, close to you know 55% of the survey respondents here are non-private courses. So we're getting numbers that are better reflective of the industry as a whole in terms of the responses we're getting. Yep. Uh, Sean McHugh, just a couple of quick quotes and anecdotes. Sean McHugh of the Cleveland Metro Parks right here in Northeast Ohio, they operate eight courses, all of them public, obviously, uh, called the year in general a nice shot in the arm. When I talked with him for the cover package, he said that they were bringing in waiting golfers, quote, from the time we were cutting cups until after dark, and that was in the summer when it wasn't dark at 430 um, and a lot of superintendents, public, private, and resort, said that this was by far their biggest year for rounds played since at least at least the Tiger boom of the late 90s and early 2000s. A few of them said the early 90s, and at least one, Scott Sherman of LaFortune Park Golf Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma, not the last time you'll hear his name over the next few minutes, said that this might have been the biggest year for his course since the late 80s. So I was in kindergarten in 1989. That's pretty incredible. 
Yeah, and we're going to hear more and more stories of those, you know, especially when you factor in December and what the year is going to look like, you know. Right now we have 11 of the 12 months. You know, we don't have the full picture yet. Those numbers will be coming out here at the end of January. So just just uh, just a huge year for public golf, huge year for golf in general, but especially the, the public sector. And the public sector, because of the number of municipal golf courses in the United States, did have a little bit of a bigger challenge getting it open and getting rolling in the early stages of the pandemic. Let's talk about money and finances for a minute guy i just mentioned the non-capital operations budget for non-private courses in 2021 topped eight hundred thousand dollars up 45 percent over last year big big milestone in the overall uh, projected operations budget one million dollar average one million forty three thousand seven hundred fifty five was the average among our respondents that's up nearly six percent from last year uh, it's up 23 and a, uh, I'm sorry, let's see. Yeah, 23.4% over 2019, 30.8% over 2017, and 49.7% over 2015. So across the board, projected operations have grown almost 50% in six years and again, top the million dollar mark on average for 2021. Yeah, it's not cheap to maintain a golf course, is it? And the first year we did that that survey, Matt, uh, this survey, six hundred fifty thousand. Now we're up over over a million in the average uh, annual non capital maintenance budget. Of course, you know labor costs right. are, are soaring everywhere. Right. But you look at it, and we even break things down by region, and it is expensive to operate a golf course out west, especially. I think the average was over 1.6 million in the West region. Yeah, we have so many numbers here in the room with us and uh, things spinning through our head. But yeah, it was over 1.6 million, and and by comparison, the Central region, uh, 638 eight thousand. So there's definitely huge regional discrepancies when you ask this question. Obviously, out west and the southeast, you have more 12 month golf, or go- at least golf can be played in all, all 12 months. The Central region, which is where we live, you know, maybe we get eight months where we can play, you know, six months where we can fully play. So big differences there. And uh, of course the cost of water out West too. We didn't go, we, in the past, we we have asked individual budget line items because there were so many big picture and questions looking ahead this year. We weren't able to ask uh, the, the line item budget questions. It just would have taken people way too long to complete the, the survey, but I'm sure we'll ask the water question again. But when you add the uh, labor and water costs together, it ain't cheap doing golf course business out west. No, there were some other great uh, money questions. Guy, do you – some other number talk. Guy, do you want to get into how golf facilities maintained, and some of them even improved, their financial footing in 2020? Yeah, one of the questions we ask every year is, was your golf course profitable? Did it break even or did it experience a loss? And the percentage of golf courses that broke even or were profitable – uh, was 79% total. By comparison, that number was 73% in 2019, uh, 62% in 2018, 68% in 2017, and 67% in 2016. So by far the best financial performance golf courses have had in the, the, the last five years. And that's despite the number of days that many of them were forced to be closed because of COVID-19 restrictions in their state. And you know, you also have to factor in the outing and food and beverage losses and still 79% of the, the golf courses in the United States broke even or were profitable, according to our research. 
and all of this leading to huge, huge optimism. Uh, there was another study, I think this was from the NPD group, that there was an almost 300% increase in swinging and putting mat sales uh, this October over last October. Obviously, equipment sales are booming, and this is all leading to superintendents expecting increased rounds again in 2021, certainly in the first half of the year. Yep, 42% of our survey respondents expect to have more rounds in 2021 than they even had in 2020, and 43% expect to feel the same amount of rounds. So that's 85% that will either get the same or more play in 2021 than they had in 2020. Uh, it's going to be a busy year. It's it's already booming in places in the, in the southeast and even here in northeast Ohio. We're going to be above freezing this weekend, and I know a lot of people that are looking to, to get out and play. So uh, it's going to be very busy, especially in the first half of 2021. And, and who knows, you know, th that could carry in – to the second half, uh, you know, really, I think we'll start understanding where golf is at July, August, September, when we get to, to the second half of the year and some other things come back and maybe golf isn't the only game in town. But uh, the way our readers are projecting it right now, that it's going to be a very robust 2021. And that is one of the things, Guy, you bring up July, August, September, and maybe, maybe, depending on how quickly the vaccine rolls out and whether people take it, there will be more indoor dining. If there's more indoor dining, obviously that applies to clubs with restaurants and, and other indoor options. Obviously restaurants as well, uh, other entertainment options, movie theaters, more sports games. And this is why I think Kemper Sports CEO Steve Skinner, who I talked with for a package, said we've really broken 2021 into two halves, basically January to June and then July to December. The first half, he said, we think there will be continued strong demand because there will continue to be restrictions on travel and activities. When the economy opens back up again and people start traveling, we'll have a lot more competition for that recreational dollar. The industry has a real opportunity, and it's incumbent on us on how we take these literally millions of new golfers and build a lifelong relationship with them. These next six months could be really, really important for the industry as a whole to capitalize on everything that happened good for the industry in the last nine months. This is this is a key time to not lose these people. Yeah, if I'm operating a golf facility right now, I, I am going out and trying to hire the, the best people for these next six months. I, I, I'm going to take some of the money that maybe my facility made in 2020 and invest that in, into people and really bolster customer service. And, you know, the course conditions are, are there, Matt. It, it's some of the other things uh, beyond the quality of the golf course that's going to bring people back to the game. I mean, how easy can people book tee times? Are things flowing once they get to, to the golf course? Do you have good grab-and-go and innovative food options? Is, is it easy to get drinks and beer uh can you keep the pace of play you know somewhere four hours or under do you have a quick option for people that maybe just want to play for an hour what are what are your practice facilities like uh like i said the, the course conditions should really be the the least of a lot of operators concerns uh because they're just so damn good everywhere you go in the country superintendents are doing such a such a good job with what they have and maximizing their resources and it's not it's not the condition of the golf course that, that 
drives people away from the game. It, it, it's these other things, and it, it's going to be curious to see what type of innovations were created because of this demand and maybe some extra profit here in, in, in 2020. Are, are courses going to have better booking operations? Are they going to have quicker ways to get food and beverage? Are they going to have ways where if you just want to play for an hour, you can play for an hour? Are they going to keep things moving out there? So, yeah, Steve Skinner is absolutely right. And these next six months, Matt, are probably as important as last mid-March to last May were. I mean, it was really important mm-hmm. mid-March to mid-May of 2020 when, to make sure that the golf the could make, were yeah, make sure yeah. golf could make its case to, to, to stay open or, or reopen and, and make sure that the, the leaders and people making decisions and communities know that golf is a, a safe activity and a valuable activity. But th- these next six months uh, are really – not the time to, to get complacent and just expect people to, to come to the golf course because nothing else is going on. This is really where you can separate your business if you work in, in the golf industry. And it, it's, it's, it's not a course conditioning thing because the, the superintendents in many cases are way ahead of some of the other parts of a golf operation. If you, again, missed last week's episode with Andrew Hurricane Hatfield, we talked a lot about how to attract and maintain these new golfers. One of the things that popped up in my reporting guy, and again, everybody I talked with vested interest in the game. Of course, they're going to try to persuade their family members to golf, but this is just a quick panel. Steve Skinner, Kemper Sports CEO, just mentioned him. He was golfing during the pandemic with his whole family. He and his wife, Ann, regularly played nine after dinner. Uh, Their 23-year-old son and 21-year-old daughter, joined them throughout the year. Eric Bauer of Blue Jack National in Texas. I talked with him for Off the Course in December. That's in the Superintendent Radio Network archive in the vault if you want to listen to that one. He has two sons, 21 and 17. They both started golfing really for the first time last year. Ryan Cummings of Elkona Country Club in Indiana, regular GCI contributor. He is quoted in the uh, State of the Industry package as well. He continued golfing with his children. They're now 11 and 8. They golfed a little bit more. Scott Sherman, who I mentioned earlier, he's at LaForgeon Park Golf Club in Tulsa. He has a middle school-age son who, I think he's 14 now, just golfed all the time. So these are new, important areas. These younger golfers, a lot of times the women golfers, an overwhelming percentage of respondents, I think it was 60 or 65% said, Uh, Men 19 to 39 or men 40 and older are still the biggest growth opportunity, but there's about a third of respondents who said either women 19 to 39, women 40 and older, or children 18 and younger provide the biggest growth opportunity for their facility. There's a lot more diversity in age range, in gender of folks who are out there playing, and that's a good thing. And we asked the question in the survey, what will help? attract and retain golfers in the top three responses uh, given by superintendents or faster play at 51.5 percent improved customer service 39.6 percent and instructional programs for younger and newer golfers at 38.8 percent and also this morning matt uh we shared a column in here internally from matt powell he's a senior Mm -hmm. industry advisor for the sports of the great uh npd group which does a lot of retail research and he was uh writing a column about the, the greatest growth opportunities for, for sports retail. And 
he said it's not the people that have been doing activities like fishing and hunting and paddling and golf for a long time. The greatest opportunities on the retail end are, are, are for the entry level and people maybe that have less experience in these activities. And I would say the same thing in golf, right? Like a lot, golf facilities make a, a lot of their decisions based on the top 5% or the people that are using it all the time that have been there for, you know, 30, 40 years. And those people are great. They've helped pay a lot of the bills over the years. But when really, when you look at the first six months of this year, it's that entry level person that came to the game in 2020 that, that really you need to think about their long-term needs here to, to begin 2021. Because if, if you get them, you know, playing for a year or more and investing in, in maybe uh, seasonal memberships or, or equipment or, you know, apparel, there's a good chance that they're going to want to stick it out after, after a year. It's like a job, right? Like your first year on a job is usually the most challenging. And if you can stick out that, that first year, there's a chance that you're going to be with your company for, for a long time. One other note uh, from my reporting, Forrest Richardson and Jan Jan, the current and the immediate past presidents of the ASGCA, respectively, had a lot of great ideas on how to build the game, grow the game, keep these new golfers. And a lot of those are in the, in the issue, uh, specifically in the story Break On Through. But one thing that didn't get in, and I want to I share this. This is from Forrest Richardson, great golf course architect. I think more courses should open up to different events to bring people in, whether that means food trucks or Easter egg hunts or haunted houses or treasure hunts or nature trails. Walking around the golf course, I'm continually amazed at the obstinance, especially of homeowners associations. 18% of people there in those HOAs play golf. That means 82% of the people don't play golf, and yet there are big signs up, don't walk on the golf course. And again, this is Forrest Richardson saying, I think there ought to be a way to do that safely and for everybody's benefit. I just don't buy that a golf course should only be for golfers. So maybe that's one more way is to kind of tear down the proverbial wall that if you don't golf, the golf course is not a place for you. A golf course can be a place for everybody. Maybe not all the time, but there are times when you can come in and you can appreciate what's there. And maybe then you do see the beauty and you do see the wonder of the game, and you do stick around. You come in for an Easter egg hunt or a haunted house, and you say, well, maybe this is a place to stick around and, and to spend some time, and you go out and you golf next year. There's just so many untapped possibilities and so much untapped potential, I think. Yeah, I'm actually reading a book that I found here in the office called 112 Miles to the Pin by Duncan Leonard, and it's about all the different ways people experience golf i mean it's got hmm. stories in there about people that play golf in antarctica that make their own courses there's a story in there about urban golf where uh, uh groups of people in, in germany and england set up golf courses kind of through urban mm -hmm. neighborhoods and i don't know how they do that without breaking windows or getting people po'd at them very careful play i guess but there, there, there's stories in there about about speed golf and we just need to uh, get away from thinking that golf has to be 18 holes for four and a half hours. There's so many great ways to experience this game. And the greatest resource that people have is, is their time. And a lot of people had more recreational time than they usually do in 2020. And that's going to change at some point in 2021. And that'll certainly change by 2022 or 2023. And, and how are you going to help people, maximize the greatest resource you have. Hopefully these are discussions that operators are having 
over the winter here, and hopefully there there's some practices that are implemented here in 2021 to help people take advantage of that that great resource. And I think the more that we think of golf as something other than 18 holes, four and four, four and a half hours, the better opportunity that the industry as a whole has of retaining the people that came to the game in 2020. I'm really excited. I think this is going to be a very interesting, very fun year and certainly a different forecast than, than some people may have projected 10 or 11 months ago. Yeah. And one thing I want to add, and I actually sent a, uh, a tweet out about this recently is I think the most overlooked part of golf's 2020 story was, oh. ha- was mm-hmm. how golf was doing in January and February. Right. There's this perception out there that the golf was on, on the ropes and things were not going well. And, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of courses were in immediate danger of closing. And that, that really wasn't the case. Uh, I think I've used the term that the golf was neither, uh, spectacular nor struggling it was it was steady it, it was solid it, it, it was there and the numbers bear that out uh the you know and, and it would maybe even make the argument that golf was poised to grow in 2020 you know regardless of what happened with the pandemic and other recreational opportunities being taken away from people i mean the first two months of 2020 uh play nationally was up 15 percent compared to the first two months of 2019 i mean matt you and i were in West Palm Beach, I mean, how crowded was the Palm Beach Par 3 course when we were there last January? And then I had a chance to go to Innisbrook mm-hmm. Resort in Florida a few weeks after that. Uh, same story. The signs were there that the game could be growing. I think it just hastened the speed of that growth a little bit. Everything else shutting down and golf courses being really one of the few safe activities to participate in during much of 2020. Yeah, and if you just look at our own uh, state of the industry research, I mean, 73% of the courses were profitable or broke even in 2019. That number was only 62% Mm -hmm. in 2018. So courses had a little bit more money. The maintenance budget was up to, average one, according to our research, was up to 987,000 as 2020 started. So uh, there were were signs that that golf was going to make some steady progress this year. Obviously, uh, like everything else in the world, the situation completely changed in mid-March. And, you know, golf is one of those few discretionary spending activities where it changed potentially for the long term better. A story, obviously, we will continue to tell online and in the pages of Golf Course Industry magazine. You get it in your mailbox every month, onlinegolfcourseindustry.com. Guy, I think this is going to be a fun year. Yeah, I'm pumped. And you know, thanks to everybody who participated in this survey. Uh, thanks to New Farm for sponsoring it again. And, and, and thanks to you, Matt, for your efforts on it. And to our talented creative director, Jim Blaney, who is really making this package pop on the pages. State of the industry package. Look for it online later this week in your mailboxes later this month. My next guest again on Beyond the Page, Dr. Kelly Price. She is a professor of marketing at East Tennessee State University, but also the host of On the Tee with Dr. P, a great podcast and a part of the Good Good Golf Network for a little more than a year. Great listen. If you don't already listen to On the Tee with Dr. P, as soon as you're done listening to Beyond the Page, 
go download a few episodes of that podcast as well. Dr. Price, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing? Good, Matt. Thank you so much. Glad to be here today. Glad to have you. You provide a different perspective than a lot of superintendents probably receive in that you are in the academic setting, but you're on the marketing side. You also are a lifelong golfer. I think Mm -hmm. you mentioned right before we started recording that you've been playing since middle school because of a a golf-loving mom who's been on your podcast a few times. Uh And you just, you have that wonderful advocacy for the game that so many people love. Mm Tell me a little bit about what you did with golf in 2020. How much did you get out? Uh, Did you get to play more? Uh, Did you play with new people? 2020 was, as we all know, a very difficult year, but I was very lucky as far as golf. Um, My course stayed open the whole time. And it is a private course, but um, we were, we took a lot of precautions. Thank goodness to our superintendent (laughs) who did an excellent job of keeping us safe out on the course and and the staff. But um, I was lucky. I got to play pretty much as I normally have in the past. And I didn't really add too much because I'm, I'm so thankful I get to play, you know, a few times a week anyway, of course, with my mom, as you said, but um, I didn't really play with anybody new. I usually don't. <laughs> it's not usually my mom and I. Um, I bring along maybe my husband every once in a while. <laughs> he has a wonderful short game. Uh, but but other than that, uh, I was I was lucky to just as usual. And and to be honest with you, that is a place, the golf course, where I was able to quote, get away. You know, it's a, it's not just a distraction for me. It's a lifestyle as it is to many people, um, but it was a way to um, continue just to continue with life and, and have some sort of normalcy. And, and I can find that on the golf course. You can think out there, you can laugh out there and you can, you can be yourself out there. And it was, it was nice to do that. Rounds were up everywhere, public, private, every region of the country. And when the final numbers come out, it'll probably be somewhere between 13 and 15% mm-hmm. in increase over 2019. Was your club that much busier this year? 13, 15, 20% more? Was it tougher to get a tee time this year? As far as I know, it wasn't necessarily tougher. It was, it, it rounds were up for us. Um, people were playing a lot (laughs) and I was able to get a tea time because I tend to play when other people don't (laughs) to be honest. Um, But, but yes, it was a good year, you know, private clubs though. It wasn't all great because of course, you know, maintenance costs went up. People, the players didn't go to the clubhouse afterward to eat or drink. So there, there were still some, some problems there, but thankfully our membership did participate as much as possible and and it allowed us to continue. Right. As you allude to one of the stories in the state of the industry package that folks will have a chance to read later this week, private party and Mm -hmm. a lot of private clubs were not able to, or at least not as many private clubs as public and and municipal courses were not able to overcome that food and beverage and event loss. Mm -hmm. So while the rounds may have been up, the finances may not have been 
as much of a, a spike in mm-hmm. the public sector, you're right. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a tough balance there, the you know, two steps forward, one step back type of thing. Um, but hopefully, you know, that will allow us to move forward in a in a good way, you know, moving into twenty one and, and like you said, hold on to some of those people <laughs> who will come back. <laughs> and that's as good a, a place to dive into this as anything else, I think, holding on to those people and folks like yourself who were already golfing and maybe golfing as much or a little bit more last year. Mm-hmm. From your perspective, longtime golfer, professor of marketing, mm-hmm. you, you have your finger on the pulse of the game, really. Um, what can golf, both at the high levels down to the smallest courses, do you think do this year, 2021, to hold on to those new folks? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, golf is really no different than, than many other products out there. And I mean, everything from a restaurant to a, you know, a brand of food, a drink, a car, whatever it is, it's no different because it's a product. And the product of golf consists of many things like the course itself, um, the food that's there, the staff, the facility, the offerings that are in the pro shop, all of those things encompass this one big package of golf. And you know, I don't know if the the staff and the superintendents that are out there see it as as a, um, a you know that everything they do is is a part of that um, bigger picture or not, but it is. And you know, consumers in general, and this is golf and anywhere else, they look for value in whatever it is. Now, value is not necessarily money; it is time. It is alignment of thing or alignment of values. Like, does the club believe what I believe? You know, we can say that with brands out there. Does, does this car company believe what I believe? A lot of consumers are moving towards this, you know, alignment of, of beliefs with a brand. We're seeing that more and more. And, and the same is true for golf and that we're not just catering to a certain demographic anymore. It's more of that emotional attachment because consumers are, we are such emotional beings. And I don't mean, you know, we, we cried everything type of thing, but marketers know really well that emotional pull is what drives decisions. It, it drives consumer behavior. And, and we can say we're rational all we want to. And lo- a lot of people will say, well, I'm a really logical consumer. I think things out, you know, I make lists and that's great. But in the end, it's some sort of emotional or what we call affective response to a product and that, that really drives a, a purchase. So anyway, my point is you just have to make it valuable to the player and to the consumer, whether it's one you're trying to maintain or one you're trying to, or a new one that's coming in. There's so many avenues to go down in terms of making the game and the time element valuable to the golfer. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you value as a golfer? Is it, is it shorter rounds? Is it being able to, as you said, playing alone or playing with your husband or playing sometimes with your mom? being able to get out there and escape or, or, or what, what do you value and what do you think others might value? out there? That's a really good question. As far as things that I value, it's, it's a little bit of, you know, there's a lot of things. Um, 
one thing at the very most basic level is something like, and I've mentioned this before in some of the, the things I've written in, in the podcast, is just having the product there as a woman um, to be able to go in my pro shop and get a glove. For a long time, that didn't happen. They didn't carry women's gloves, <laughs> but they do now. Um, just, just the fact that there is you know, a product there that I am able to buy. Another thing that I think is really important, and this is, this is coming from all industries, is sustainability. And we're seeing consumers, especially younger ones, I think it's, um, I don't remember exactly the age, but younger consumers want sustainability in, in their products. And, and the last thing I read, and this, this statistic sticks in my mind, is 66% of consumers are willing to spend more money on sustainable goods. And so we're starting to see a little bit of a pressure in the golf industry. And I realize it costs money to do these things, but, but it's a starting small kind of thing. Like I'm, I've seen some brands out there who are pushing sustainability, um, you know, teas that are not plastic or that we're recycling on our course. Mine does not, but I'm still pushing them. Um, you know, things like that, that, that I value. And one other thing that I know I value a lot is just, um, Time. Time is one. I'm generally a nine hole player. That's just what I've always done and what I like to do. But you know, sometimes nine hole players are at a disadvantage due to costs or, you know, cart fees or, you know, I've seen clubs that, that have unlimited carts, but you have to play 18 holes and, <laughs> you know, that type of thing. Well, and there's nothing for the nine hole player. So I, I can't do that. I'd have to play twice as much, which isn't going to happen. So we've got to hone in on some of those smaller little things that turn into a much bigger value-based decision for a consumer. This is one of the big conversation points, at least on the architecture side. Mm -hmm. I've talked with a few great folks, Forrest Richardson, Jan Beljan, the last uh, two presidents of the uh, ASGCA, and mm -hmm. quite a few superintendents who have a, an emphasis on just bringing in different folks. And, and notably, this is at admittedly more than an 18 hole facility. Uh, but do you see more of an emphasis at your club or anywhere else that you see where else you have a chance to travel? Obviously not too much in 2020. Um, more emphasis, more attention paid to the driving range or the practice area. Is there an option for players like you and, and like me largely too? I don't like to play too many 18 hole rounds. You want to play nine or even play six or just play by mm -hmm. the hole, anything like that. You know, historically, as, as a lot of us know, that's how golf started. It was a six hole course or it was a 12 hole course. And, you know, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, my own club did invest in a new driving range last year to, to fix it up and, and make it better. Um, and it's generally gone pretty well. I don't tend to use the driving range a lot because I hate to practice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm like Brittany Lincecum. I think one time she said that she doesn't like to practice. She just plays a lot. And I said, that's perfect. <laughs> so I've gone along with her. Um, but, but yeah, um, we are seeing other small things like that bring value um, into the course itself all around. Without putting you on the spot here, I'm just mm -hmm. curious what you think might happen in 2021. So we're early January, 2021. 
if, if we look ahead to say six months ahead or into mid-July or even 12 months ahead, uh, mid-January of 2022, do you think the numbers remain as high uh, because golf has been able to latch on to these new players? They've been able to apply some sense of value to them uh, and for them to hold on to them or, mm-hmm. or, or is this going to be a little bit of a squandered opportunity? Mm-hmm. Well, as you said, you know, 2020 was a good year for golf, but you know, and 2021 has a lot of promise. We've seen a lot happening, especially I can speak namely to women's golf with the coverage being up and the prize money's up, the sponsorships are up, um, the viewership is up, even girls golf is, is up. Um, but, you know, and we have a lot of bright spots. But one thing we still, you know, we still have this lingering um, cultural issue with golf, um, you know, and, and that mainly comes from a lot of these, the bigger media outlets, the big magazines, the big um, TV uh, <laughs> channels, things like that, where we're still seeing just not enough of the inclusion of everyone type of thing. Um, yes, I know that, like I said, the numbers are up and, you know, some people say, well, what are you talking about? You know, women's golf is up. Yes, but we still have, you know, some of the stale stereotypes that are sitting out there. I saw a tweet just earlier, just today, actually, um, from Golf Channel, who I follow and watch and, you know, all that stuff. And they said, I think in the tweet, it said, let's go. And, you know, golf's biggest events or whatever, well, not a one was an LPGA event. So, and what's interesting about that was some of the LPGA players commented, oh, thanks a lot. That's exactly what we needed, <laughs> you know, um, they said. So, so if, if businesses really want to capitalize on these new players, which by the way, women are disproportionately a higher number of beginners, um, we've got to pay attention to to this crowd and not just because we're sticking them in a demographic. Oh, she's a woman aged, you know, whatever. Um, But more about what does she value? Does she have children? Are they going to play nine holes? Um, Are the facilities appropriate for, for this? You know, so, so we've still got some, some wonderful business opportunities out there, but we have to really look at what those are culturally and not just, you know, the numbers. And even down to the little things, like you said a few minutes ago, pro shops carrying women's gloves. Mm-hmm. You, know, you have to feel appreciated. You have to feel seen. Otherwise, you're not going to come back. This is why there are so many beginners who are women, because they may not feel appreciated and seen, and they go away. Yeah, yeah. Not special treatment. Just, just it's there, you know. And, and luckily, at, at my course, about it's been, uh, it's two years ago, I guess, we, we got a female assistant pro. And her presence has been, it's just amazing. You know, the, the women's golf clinics went back. We got a little section of women's clothes. We got the gloves, you know, and that's fantastic. And, and it's just been wonderful to have her around to, to bring the presence of women's golf there. And it's definitely happened. And we've also seen the, the kids program increase. Mm-hmm. What else can golf do to attract those younger and women players? Uh, in our survey, I think it was something like 65 or 66% of respondents 
who are admittedly, I think out of the 320 or so respondents this year, I think I saw, I think there was one woman, which is mm-hmm. one more woman than last year. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's just the state of the, the maintenance industry where mm-hmm. I think 1.7% of members of the GCSAA are, mm-hmm. are women. Mm-hmm. Um, what can golf do to appeal to women and children more because again, two thirds of respondents said mm-hmm. the largest growth area is still either men 19 to 39 or men 40 and older. The other mm-hmm. age brackets were women 19 to 39, women mm-hmm. 40 and older, and then children 18 and older. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's again, it's just still important to encompass everybody. But you know, when we see, for example, um, women on the leadership of our country club board that we get women um, on the golf committee, things like that. Um, other women pay attention to people do that. We're just consumers and, and we pay a whole lot of attention to those around us. We call them reference groups and consumer behavior. And those are the people that influence us and influence the way we think and the way we buy and, and all of those types of things. And we know that those can be more valuable in regard to bottom line profit, just these, these small micro reference groups than some of the most expensive um, social media campaigns you can come up with. Um, so, so when you get down to these, what matters to, to her? What matters to him? Um, that's where we're going to find the, the niche. It's, it's not anymore about mass marketing. It's, it's these tiny micro influencer micro um little tiny networks that are that are making the difference in in consumer behavior we call this um the social object what is the one thing that brings so many people together you know when you get on facebook and you, and you join a group well you all have something in common it's something <laughs> you know people who drive a jeep or somebody who plays golf, that type of thing. And that's why those networks tend to, tend to work really well. Power of tribes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I took, I don't think any marketing classes in college and I've heard more new terms in the last 20 minutes than <laughs> probably have in the last 15 years. <laughs> I love it. I should have taken more. <laughs> Dr. P, uh, I love talking with you. I, I want to be respectful of your time. So I, I'll, I'll leave you with this. Uh, what are you most looking forward to in 2021? And that could be getting the vaccine and eating in a restaurant or traveling more or just playing more rounds. Anything at, else, uh, anything at all doesn't have to be necessarily golf related. Mm-hmm. And then same question, what are you most looking forward to in the golf sphere? Mm-hmm. Well, in 2021, I'm most looking forward to um, just, I wish... Yes, getting a vaccine. <laughs> Absolutely. No question about it. My mom has had hers and has, okay. has tolerated it well. Yes. Because um, she's of the age group where she could and keep her safe and my family safe, but um, and others. But looking forward to just finding the happy. And, and I know it's hard for some people because there is so much pain and there is so much loss. And you just sort of look at, you know, you look at your window and go, God, how can this get any better? But it will, it will. And, and a lot of us know in golf that, you know, you've heard so many of the life lessons and that type of thing, 
but the one thing that we can find in golf, we keep coming back and keep coming back because it does make us happy. It makes us happy. Golf is happy. And that's where I find my happy. <laughs> and that's why I keep going, even as badly as I play sometimes. Um, it, I walk off the course and I say, when are we coming back? So um, looking very much forward to 2021 to finding happy, keeping happy, that type of thing. And, and that does go into what I'm looking for in 2021 as far as golf is to continue just, just having a good time with it. And, and as I did last year, um, keeping it something that's, that's fun, that's where I can learn, be with my mom, you know, be outside, that it just brings a perspective of, of what's important in the world. So, so we're looking forward to a good year in golf. <laughs> And anything that you want to plug or promote before I let you go? Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. That's nice. You can find me um, on womensgolf.com. And that is a wonderful website with lots of information and um, instruction, all kinds of things on there. It's really valuable. I've learned a lot from the videos, a lot of instruction, instructors. Um, and also my, as you mentioned, the, the podcast of On the Tee with Dr. P. It's, it's really fun. I'm getting ready to, um, I'm working on my next one, but I just released one called um, Number One on Number Three. So it's, mm. it's, you'll see, it's an etiquette type of thing <laughs> with a little, little humor involved. Most of us could use a little more etiquette, uh, even if we think we know it all. Right. We don't. Yeah, this was an event that happened to my mom and I out there, and I just, I had to, I just had to go for it <laughs> on that one. <laughs> Dr. Kelly Price, again, a professor of marketing at East Tennessee State University, and as you mentioned, the host of the always enjoyable On the Tea with Dr. P podcast, available wherever you download podcasts. What a pleasure. Thank you so much uh, for coming on Beyond the Page. Thank you so much. It's, it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you. My thanks again to Dr. Kelly Price and Guy Cipriano for sharing their perspective on Beyond the Page. And my thanks to all of you for listening to all the podcasts on the Superintendent Radio Network. New episodes of Beyond the Page, Greens with Envy, Off the Course, and the OG Tartan Talks right here every Tuesday. Our January issue will be online a little later this week. Check it out at www.golfcourseindustry.com backslash magazine. You can read more industry news and notes in our fast and firm email newsletter delivered every Tuesday to your inbox. Sign up online at golfcourseindustry.com under the subscribe tab. Golf Course Industry is produced by Guy Cipriano and me. Matt Lowell. Our columnists are wonderful Terry Buchan, Henry DeLozier, Bradley S. Klein, Tim Morgan, and Matthew Wharton. We have some fantastic regular contributors too. Tyler Bloom, Trent Bouts, Lee Carr, Ron Furlong, Judd Spicer, John Torsiello, Anthony Williams, and Rick Wolfel. Our publisher is Dave Zai. Our sales gurus are Russ Warner and Andrew Hatfield. Jim Blaney designs the magazine. He does a darn good job. Kate McCoy makes sure everything goes where it should. Avril Braden and Christina Warner make sure you all receive the magazine. After 26 years of heartache, Christina is letting Russ bask in the warmth of a long overdue Browns playoff win. Kelly Antle makes sure we all get paid. Michaela Dodrill handles advertising and production. Irene Sweeney does 
more than any of us can keep straight. Stephen Webb handles our classifieds. Our president is Chris Foster. Did you know he's a city council member? Above all else, we couldn't do what we do without you. Thanks so much for listening. Ooh.